This is Chains by Laurie Halsey Anderson, chapters 11 and 12. Chapter 11. If you're following along with the book, this is page 68. Friday, June 7th, 1776. It felt like Becky shook me awake the moment I fell asleep. Make haste, girl, she hissed. You didn't start the fire. Why are you still in bed? Haste was the word of the day. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't catch up. It did not help that Madame was in a mood. Girl, she said to me as I prepared to sweep the kitchen floor. The bedding needs to be aired. Yes, ma'am. I set the broom back in its place and went upstairs, where I stripped off the bedding, carried it outside, and pegged it to the line. Just as I finished, Madame opened the back door. Why are you dwaddling so? she yelled. The floor in here is filthy, and the banister needs to be polished. And I told you to wear your shoes in my house. After I squeezed my feet into those small, dreadful shoes, it was back to the sweeping, and then that polishing of the banister with soft rags and beeswax scented with lemon. When I made it halfway up the stairs, Madame yelled at me for airing the bed linen on a day that threatened rain. At least she did not call for Ruth's company. Becky had set my sister to scrubbing the back steps. Ruth hummed so loudly it put me in mind of a swarm of bees and clover. As I gathered in the sheets, I watched the gate, waiting for the rebels, rebels to arrive to arrest the Lochtons and reward me with our liberty. We would be given paper, proper cabins on the ship. I was sure of it. No more riding in the hold with barrels of salt cod. Ruth and me would have a cabin fit for ladies, with bunks and blankets and pillows and three meals every day. Yes, indeed, that was my future. Aren't you done yet? Becky yelled from the back door. We have to prepare the drawing room. I shook away my daydreams. The drawing room on the second floor wasn't a room where folks sat with paints and colored chalk to draw pictures, like I'd figured. It was another parlor, three times the size of the one downstairs. We removed the sheets, covering the furniture. A dozen chairs with needleworked seats were scattered around the room, organized around tables with delicate legs. A low settee stood in front of the fireplace, and a mirror framed in mahogany hung above the mantel, flanked by oil lamps fastened to the walls. Why this room has to be prepared is beyond me, Becky muttered, as we folded the sheets together. No staff to speak of, the larder half empty, the city getting ready to explode, and she wants this turned out and polished. Of all the foolish... A loud beating on the front door interrupted her. Dash it all, Becky exclaimed as she clattered down the stairs. Keep folding, she called to me. Not for love nor money. I peered out a front window. The group of men clustered on the front steps did not look like angels, but they could have been in disguise. Four wore the coats, breeches, powdered wigs, and hats of merchants. One had papers tucked under his arm. Six soldiers stood behind them, all wearing uniforms but carrying long metal bars instead of guns. Becky opened the door and the men filed inside. I stepped out into the hall and peered down the stairs. The man with the papers under his arm had removed his hat. 
It was Master Bellingham. My heart sang. A door slammed overhead as Madame flew out of her chamber. What is the meaning of this? I pressed myself against the wall so she could rush by me, then followed her down the stairs. The soldiers had split into two groups. Half went into the front parlor and the other half into Lockton's library. Both groups set to removing the windows, prying them out of their casings with the long bars. "'What are you doing to my windows?' Madame demanded. Bellingham approached her. "'No need to fret, ma'am. We are all called to make sacrifices.' "'Sacrifices?' Master Lockton asked as he hurried in. "'This is thievery. What right have you to destroy my home?' There was a horrific crash in the parlor as the hooks that held up the heavy draperies flew off the wall and landed on the floor. Plaster dust swirled. Bellingham removed the papers under his arm. You surprise me, Elu, he said. I thought a patriot such as yourself would welcome the chance to contribute to the army. Beads of sweat stood at the edge of Lockton's wig. How does this pertain to the ripping down of my house, James? Bellingham patted Lockton's shoulder. We need your lead, friend, for ammunition. Good people throughout the city are donating all the lead they own. The Provincial Congress will compensate you, of course, in due time. I've novices I've invoices prepared. Madame frowned. How is it possible to turn windows into bullets? The counterweights are made of lead, madam. Bellingham explained, and your drapery poles. This is an outrage, Lockton fumed. No, Elu, Bellingham said. This is war. Even our churches are making the sacrifice, delivering their bells to the re recast as cannons. Surely you do not rate your home above the houses of God. The soldiers left the library, deposited the lead weights by the front door, and headed up the second floor, knocking their soldiers against the paintings of the Lockton ancestors that lined the staircase. I wanted to shout that they should search for the money in the linen chest. Instead, I shrank against the wall to let them pass. They haven't restored the windows to the frames, protested Lockton. Where are they going? Madame asked. There are plenty of carpenters who will assist you with windows if you don't feel up to the task yourself, Elu, Birmingham said. Sir, shouted a soldier upstairs, we found it. Bellingham dropped his manners and bounded up the stairs two at a time. Madam and Lockton followed close on his heels. I trailed behind. The bedchamber was a large room made sm small by the four-poster company bed that sat as high as a carriage, two massive armoires, and a half-dozen men with red faces. Madame had once again set herself on her walnut linen chest, which sat in front of the hearth. Why was it up here? Of all the insults, of all the assaults on the dignity of a woman, she said to Bellingham, this, sir, is the lowest, the most base. I shall see to it that every leader in every land knows Madame, Bellingham said sternly. If you do not take your person from that chest, I shall order these soldiers to remove you. You would not dare, she said. Yes, he would, dear, Lockton said. Please, wife, let these men do their work with no further delay. There is nothing 
to worry about. He seemed to hide a message beneath those words, for Madame relaxed some and stood with Grace. If you insist, husband, she said. Perhaps you would prefer to go below stairs, Lockton suggested. The girl can heat some wine to calm your nerves. Madame shook her head. No, dear, I shall remain by your side. Bellingham gave the sergeant a quick nod. The man knelt in front of the chest and opened the latch. Deliverance! They'll arrest them both and reward me mightily. We'll leave this horrid place by sunset. One corner of Lockton's mouth turned up in a sly smile. As a blushing soldier removed the shifts and underskirts, my heart skipped a beat. Why were dirty linen, linen still in there? Becky gathered all the washing yesterday. The soldier looked up at Bellingham. That's all, sir. Clear down to the bottom. I wanted to shout. The money is underneath the false bottom. But pressed my lips together. Bellingham knelt and checked for himself, knocking the wooden sides. Lockton's grin had spread to both sides of his mouth. Would you care to inspect all our clothing, James? Perhaps you'd send a man to root through the potatoes and parsnips in the cellar. He had hidden the money elsewhere. That's why he was at ease. Bellingham rose to his feet and stood with his hands behind him. Would he turn on me, accuse me of making a false report, and expose me to the Locktons? No. He searched through the papers until he pulled out one that he handed to Lockton. You are summoned to the New York Provincial Congress for suspicion of aiding the enemy, Elu. I am placing you under arrest. These soldiers will escort you. He nodded his head. Two soldiers grabbed Lockton by his elbows. His smile vanished. Wait, Madam said. You can't arrest him. He's done nothing. To the contrary, ma'am, Birmingham snapped. He has put the lives of thousands in jeopardy. The men filed by me without wor in another word. Bellingham kept his face straight ahead, but as he passed by, he, his eyes, he cut his eyes at me. They drilled a hole right into my fear of discovery. There was the clatter of boots on their stair treads, then boots on the marbles outside, and then the crash of the front door slamming. They were gone. Madam stared blankly at the empty doorway. Ma'am, I asked quietly. Her eyes turned to me, then she blinked, as if she suddenly realized who I was and where she stood. Don't just stand there, girl. These linens need to be washed. I can't think how Becky missed them. I shall speak to her about the, her laziness. And then she fainted. That's the end of chapter 11. <clears throat> Chapter 12 Friday, June 7th, 1776 Becky sent me to fetch the Lady Seymour to help Madame get through having her husband arrested like that. The old lady lived two blocks north of Trinity Church, the one with spires that scraped the sky. It's one of them old Dutch-style houses, Got a red door and a knocker looks like a heart, Becky said. Can't miss it. <clears throat> the house was not far from City Hall, along a street where soldiers with heavy axes were chopping down the row of tall poplar trees. Fortifications, a soldier explained to a cartman. To protect against the invasion. Any day now, they say. 
The red door made the house easy to find. I walked through a beautiful garden around to the back. Neatly trimmed boxwood hedges created a path lined with young botany plants, lavender, daylilies, and honeysuckle. Mom, Mama would have admired the roses. My fingers itched to pluck up the scraggly weeds that were crowded them, but I dared not. I knocked at the back. The door was opened by the whitest girl I'd ever seen. Her skin was pale as water, except for two flame-colored spots on her cheeks. Her eyebrows and eyelashes were near invisible, and her eyes a mix of pew pewter and blue. She wiped her hands on her apron and said something I didn't understand. I've come for the Lady Seymour, I explained. Madame Lockton requires her presence, she frowned. What will you? What did you say, I asked. In Ogenblick, a slumfle, she said before she closed the door in my face. <clears throat> what was an Ogenblick? New York was stranger every passing day. I knocked again, but there was no answer. I was about to walk home when I heard Lady Seymour's voice through an open window. A moment later, the door opened, and she stood there in the kitchen. I curtsied, proper-like. Pardon, ma'am, but they've arrested the master. Madam is poorly. She nodded. They've been hunting loyalists all day. I told Anne it would come to the, to this. Come inside, child. Isabel, is it not? The kitchen was larger than the Lockton's, with a tiled hearth and copper pots hanging on the wall. A smoke-colored cat curled itself around my ankles, its tail in the shape of a question mark. Please sit down. You must be hungry. I perched on the edge of a chair. Lady Seymour poured me a mug of fresh milk. My surprise at having a proper lady do so must have shown on my face. You could use some building up, she said, as she pushed a plate of molasses cookies to me. Eat and tell me everything. She turned to her servant, who stood by the hearth. Will je aglivist, even d'abnoke milbus afficient The strange girl bobbed once and left the room the pale pink ribbons from the back of her cap trailing behind her. She speaks only Dutch, the Lady Seymour explained, and shows no inclination to learn English, I'm afraid. Now, a bite, and the events. I chewed the cookie quickly, took a sip of milk, and recounted near everything, though I neglected to mention my role as the household spy. She listened carefully as I spoke and asked plenty of questions. Did Elus say anything to the men who arrested him? Did he give them any names? Not in my hearing, ma'am. She sat back in her chair. He's in no danger so long as he stays silent. She broke off a piece of cookie, popped it into her mouth, and chewed. I imagine Anne is in a lather. Yes, ma'am, I said carefully. She told Becky to pack the trunks for Charleston. Lady Seymour shook her head. I don't blame her, but fleeing would ensure that the rebels would take everything. Yes, ma'am, I mumbled. I took an overly large bite of the cookie, certain she would send me back straightway. She tapped her forefinger on the table as she pondered, her rings flashing in the light. All right, she said firmly, having come to a decision. I will write a note for you to take <clears throat> to the lawyer's office before you go home. And another for Anne telling her that Ilu will soon be set free. 
The Dutch girl came back in the kitchen and said something I could not make out at all. Lady Seymour rose from her chair and motioned for me to stay seated. Finish these cookies, please, and drink a second glass of milk. You can't run errands for me unless you're properly nourished. And that's the end of chapter 12.